0: We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldkamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. There's been a little break, and that little break from my last Uh, podcast was basically due to I had no voice. I got a throat cold and it was a terrible experience. I'll leave out the experience and just say that it took my voice with it for the better part of 10 days. But that's back and swallowing's back. So life is back. Today what I want to do is go over some concepts that I had covered in talking with Dr. Ben Kikio, Dr. Ben. And Dr. Ben is a uh, two PhD, MS, master's, and he's the one that came up with the high-intensity training, HIT. HIT is kind of a generic for anything that's high-intensity, so it's a, a little bit of a general misnomer. So for to be very specific about it, the HIT that he came up with, now we're talking about the mid-70s, I think 74 specifically, he was the generator of and the I don't know if you call exercise an inventor of, but he's the first one to put the research behind this and understanding how profound this was for so many situations. Uh, We're not just talking about bodybuilding. We're talking about, yes, certainly people working on their bodies, people working on their metabolism. So for cardiac patients, diabetes, congestive heart failure, a lot of number of these things. And uh, for those who had some sort of functional goal in mind of competition, you name it. So... He started his various gyms, and uh, he was in the era of uh, when Nautilus was just getting started. So he was working with all those thinkers. But one of the things that I think is really important to, to get out of the way in the beginning of, of talking about him is that he was the first that started. I'm repeating myself a little bit, but it's really important that he was the one that started this concept of slow movement, high-intensity exercise. So little old ladies, little old men, young people, you know, depending, when you talk about intensity, it's a relative word to that person and their ability to create that. So for some, it might be a, a lifting a pound over their head. And then he has specific exercises, specific in the sense that it covers certain areas of the body. So in other words, they would be A chest, what they call flies, it would be for the back. A row, it would be the squats. It would be a deadlift. It would be a leg press or a leg exertion. It would be hams, which is a a leg uh, flex. And you have your biceps and you have your triceps. And if you want, there's a couple of uh, ab exercises in there too. So that part's not new at all. I mean that. So you can do it on equipment. You can even do it with bands, you know, the the elastic bands at home. In in fact, my wife and I just did our first session together and it is exhausting. I'm almost sleepy tired now from doing that. So it can be done under a number of situations. It's not that, it's great if you have somebody there to push you a little bit so you make sure you get to that edge. And that edge is very important. That threshold of working at that threshold of exertion is very important. So, the amount is not important at all. It's all relative to the person and it has profound metabolic changes. Most of us that ever went to the gym or still go to the gym don't really go for metabolic changes. That's not what we think. If I stood by that door with a microphone and saying, excuse me, ma'am, why do you just come by to the gym this morning? What's your intention of being in the gym? What do you want to achieve today? What do you want to achieve with all your experience collectively at the end of the year by going to the gym? They might say stay fit. That's as sophisticated as it's going to be. Uh, mostly it's about firming up their muscles. And of course, some are there to be bodybuilders. And that's it. I think I just covered 99% of the people. I, I doubt anybody's going to go to any sort of metabolic depth. Okay, then. So... So we I had a, uh, a nearly two-hour conversation with Dr. Ben yesterday, and it was fascinating, but there's a few things I think that were would be worth sort of getting out of the way as general background, just like I do with the prequels for other speakers, and, and that is that he has a great book out there. The first was, he's the first of uh, the slow, high-intensity training. Uh, he taught this, one of his students is uh, Ken Hutchinson's, and so... Ken Hutchins, sorry, Ken Hutchins. And so Ken Hutchins actually came out and coined the term, you know, slow motion, even though he was taught it by somebody else did famously with that term. He in turn influenced Doug McDuff, who is a, an MD ER doc came out with a book called Body by Science, which is basically talking about Doug McDuff has five specific exercises. I've and called them for me. My wife used to follow his prescription. We called it the Fab Five. And those are five exercises that you do slowly to a count of 10 down and a count of 10 up. Just slowly was the key, but he also said for a count of 10. Um, And now working and talking with Dr. Ben, I see the, the point and the purpose behind that, and that is that kind of detail and understanding so now I, I understand the threshold that I have to achieve. And so the threshold may not come to me in 10. It may come to me in three. It may come to me longer. But for it to be a high-intensity exercise, this is now per Dr. Ben, is that you should only be able to do three or four reps of the aforementioned exercises and be exhausted, hit failure. That means you spent your glycogen uh, source on your and the muscles that you are using. Then, so forty to sixty seconds—that's in essence the definition of high high intensity. You're done and you're spent. So when people say, oh, "I do high intensity training for forty minutes," well, that's impossible. Actually, you know, that's impossible. If you did Doctor Ben's, uh, let's say it's seven exercises, and they're all to that expiration of forty to ninety seconds, your total exercise time would be about 14 minutes, between 11 and 14 minutes. So when people say, yeah, I always work high intensity, when I go to the gym for an hour and a half, say, well, no, it's not high intensity. You do work out and I don't doubt it, it's not hard for you, but that's not high intensity. So there's a certain threshold in which you actually have to trigger adrenaline and hitting those particular peaks really stimulate a lot of hormonal uh, triggers human growth hormone for one, growth hormone in general, or, which is really the same thing. Your insulin gets more sensitized. You actually start producing more muscle tissue, that it, i.e. Uh, mitochondria. And when you start doing that, you're creating more receptors for insulin. You have more receptors as opposed to few receptors. So muscle mass is a determining factor of insulin sensitivity and therefore overall health. And so... As a single factor for overall health in terms of insulin sensitivity and obviously blood glucose control, it's muscle. It's muscle. The other part is low carb. So Dr. Ben uh, clearly earned his PhDs. What I mean is he's very knowledgeable in these two aspects. And uh, he picked up long ago, as we'll discuss when the, on the next uh, podcast you'll be listening to, is that when he realized, you know, how profound this was putting these two together. So it wasn't just one, it wasn't just the other. So I'm speaking to you, you know, in this keto naturopath podcast, because you're interested in keto. Well, you know, why and I would say, well why are you interested in keto? Probably eighty percent of you are listening and interested in keto because of weight loss. And beyond that, you're interested in all the other facts that it some of the hormones we've talked about, some of the metabolites we've talked about, certainly some of the people we've interviewed, and you realize, wow, this is a big deal. This goes way beyond uh, just weight loss. But if it wasn't for weight loss being so profoundly achievable, and I'd say dot, 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 easy or easier than any other way to do it, you probably wouldn't even know the word keto out there. And now it's keto everything. You know, soon I'll probably... Keto wallpaper, Keto paint, you know, it just put Keto in front of it and will sell. The problem is now there's so much disinformation, it's hard to slug through and find out what's genu- genuine and wholesome and and something you can do. So that's the reason for this podcast. So I hope you think, at least after this podcast and certainly after the one and listening to uh, Dr. Ben, is that there's a whole other component that you can add to this that is, and he has a whole program and he has a great book out there. And I'm going to post these, you know, I'll post the links to this on his, uh, on that particular podcast. And I hope you do get those things. And I'll post some uh, videos of him training other people doing this. It's a lot simpler than you think. It's just a lot more uncomfortable than you think. And that is the word that is, you know, so why people don't do this? Well, you can say, well, they didn't know to do this. But there's a lot of people that just don't want to get uncomfortable. So for instance let's go back to the gym. And I'm standing by the door and I'm asking these people why they're coming in and what do they expect to get out of the gym? If I was to sort of like stay there for a couple hours and sort of watch what these particular people do, most people don't get that uncomfortable. They'll go over to the cardiovascular machines. Maybe they'll be on the elliptical for a while and maybe they'll do some weights, but nothing's a real push. Nothing's really all that hard. You know, maybe might be one rep out of three sets of 10 that, you know, but there's a concept about threshold. All that work doesn't get to a certain threshold. And that threshold of stimulating um, adrenaline, uh, norepinephrine and epinephrine and others, but mostly you'll feel that adrenaline rush and you'll feel that it has to be a do or die. It has to be a fight or flight feeling. And and, and that's an uncomfortable feeling to be able to hold. So first you recognize it. You, you get to the place of being able to achieve that for you. And then you, and there's a degree of fear that comes up for you, by the way, when you feel that. It should that's, that's what adrenaline's about. You know, the bears in the woods, and you're going to run, and you're going to run like you've never run before. But suddenly, you now have access to energy you never had before. That's what adrenaline does. It opens the doors. And by opening the doors, you have access to muscle use you didn't have before you got to that threshold. So that threshold is really important. The concept of that threshold, which is both humorous and to the point, uh, Dr. Ben gives. he says, you know, there was a, a man that was uh, really serious about trying to cut down and smoking, and he used to smoke, you know, four cigarettes at once, and so he cut back to two cigarettes at once, and he asked the doctor, he said, I have really, you know, did a lot of work, and I'm now only smoking two cigarettes at once. Well, obviously, that's going to make no difference. There's the effort, but he didn't reach the threshold. Threshold to make a difference and decrease risk of cancer and cardiovascular disease with smoking cigarettes is really zero. So there's a point if you went from four to two, how much of a difference that's gonna make? Probably none at all because you're still smoking. So you have to stop smoking in that particular case to reach that particular threshold we're talking about. So too it is with exercise. But if you could think that maybe you needed to be guided through this once or twice, that actually is something you can do by yourself, you know, because it's, it's not dangerous. When you see how some of these are, they're, they're pretty traditional exercises, and you can even do them with bands. Hard to do one for hams with bands. I haven't figured that one out, but the concept is there, and you can get your set going, that to think that you could do something so profound as increasing your insulin sensitivity, Uh, If you had elevated glucose, you'd be dropping your glucose. Uh, You'd be building muscle mass without a doubt, which means you're increasing your insulin, number of insulin receptors. You're increasing your human growth hormones, which is responsible in part for the increase in the muscle mass, but it also is hormone that you could say it's a hormone of youth. So it slows down aging. So that's why we see those who work out, just generally speaking, they'll get a little bit of bang, these people that I talked about. That are coming into the gym, I'm following around, you know. As an example, they'll get some of that, and people who go to the gym versus don't go to the gym, add ten years and twenty years of doing that, you'll see there's a difference just in their equipment, how they look, you know, their their uh, their smiles, their visage, their face. Uh, does it mean they'll have fewer wrinkles or not? I they'll have probably to an extent, but it's something about the muscular. Structure of their body, how they carry themselves, and uh, the quality of their skin as well. It's profound. So, this is where that comes from. It's an indirect benefit of exercise, of hitting that threshold. You get these other things, and uh, you get them in spades. So, absolutely, you get them in spades. Interesting that some of these things, some of these things, some of the effects of high intensity training, which is getting to that threshold. Um, you can also get with fasting. So at some point, fasting will also trigger HGH. It will also trigger autophagy. That is, your old mitochondria will fade, fade away and die, which is a good thing. And so there's a lot of overlap with the ba- benefits of fasting. And the, the journey's out. Or the, there's no real research saying, well, do both at the same time and you get double the bang. No, but it's not bad to do both at the same time to the degree you could. Uh, you eventually do get tired when you do fasting for you know many, many days at some point, but it's not like you shouldn't do this while you're working out. So those are some of the points that I wanted to make out uh, to, to stretch out ahead of time, because the conversation I have with Dr. Ben is not linear, <laughs> you know, it's not linear. It's like holding a live wire, you can only be at, in one moment, one time, and then you have to drop it and see where it goes, and you pick it up again. Uh, We cover a lot of different things, and uh, I will say up front, unfortunately I I lose my voice in the middle of the podcast, and uh, it comes back. So apart from that little messiness, uh, but there's good information around that, so I don't know if we can cut that out or keep that in because uh, what was the conversation both before and after. That um, two things I want for you to understand is that he is of profound influence in the health industry relative to exercise, unlike anybody else. From looking back, unlike Mr. Jones, who invented, I want to say uh, Andy Jones, but that's not his first name, Mr. Jones, who invented Nautilus. I mean, clearly that was a, a big difference, but it was from Dr. Ben' experience of working with Mr. Jones, while he was developing the Nautilus and working with him, did he develop the concept, and we go over this a little bit, of where he came for, well, wouldn't that make an isometric exercise almost the perfect exercise in the sense that it did not create any injury at all? You know, and so the idea of going slow and having no momentum in your exercise at all minimizes really any chance of injury. You have correct form, and that's what it used to be called, but you have that correct form and you simply go slow. Hence osteoporotic women could do this as well. They wouldn't be doing it, you know, well, they would be doing it exactly the same same way as bodybuilders. But the interesting thing is a bodybuilder has so much muscle mass, we'll assume already, that he or she, you know, they're already at that edge. They're already maxed out. And so they're going to have a harder time to advance forward. They're going to be tougher from initially, whereas you take the osteoporotic woman that they're just getting started. There's a lot of adaptation and they will begin to, you know, and increase the resistance as you get better, and you increase the resistance as you get better, and on and on and on. So that person will be doing a lot of changes over time, whereas a bodybuilder who's already pretty well developed won't be doing a lot of changes. It will be an exhausting workout for him or her, and there will be changes, but they are pretty close to a, you know, their maximum, maybe there's a point there so there's a big variance was the point of that conversation. The third thing I wanted to mention was that this is such a metabolic approach to exercise as well here you know, for Dr. Ben that he worked with plenty of medically referred people for cardiology, endocrinology, certainly obesity medicine, certainly in endocrinology would be the diabetes amazing. You know, so it's it's really, if you ask me, been the silent corner of metabolic therapy for the longest time. The conversation in metabolic therapy conferences about exercise up to this point has only been along the lines of exogenous ketones will give you that extra little bang for your buck and you'll get stronger. And Jeff Folek had written a book about the art and science of athletic performance, low carb athletic performance. And that's interesting. This is the whole thing about the metabolism and saying, yeah, it's about that, but it goes a lot deeper. Just very, very interesting. Let me see if I'm missing any points here. We get a little bit into some supplementation, just as general ideas would have no particular prescription, but I, I so hope that you follow the sometimes circuitous path of the conversation and extract some of the importance of it. You'll have links for where you can go to watch some of these very basic uh, instructions. And um, actually, my hope is that you engage this. You you, You really don't need equipment. You don't need somebody's permission to get started. It's that easy. Can you imagine doing 14 minutes twice a day? Only that. Only that. 14 minutes twice a day. Only that as gym time or as exercise time. The rest... You know, go play tennis or something else, or but you don't need any more because your body actually needs forty-eight hours to sixty hours to recuperate from a high-intensity session. So it's it is easily life-changing. That is not an exaggeration to say that it's life-changing. I hope that uh, you hear that and it's something that you fit in. So, and I hope that you get the nuanced difference in how I'm trying to approach this particular exercise in this keto context. This is as much keto as a ketogenic diet is, even though we haven't talked about ketones. We're talking about, you know, the sensitivity, the increased insulin sensitivity, and uh, no, we didn't go down to does your uh, muscle become more uh, keto sensitive as well. I would assume so, but that's a pretty high-end way, and that's probably going to be the next round of, of research. So with that, I just wanted this to be a small podcast before a, a two-parter of talking with Dr. Ben about this, so you understand, you know, for one where this where this uh, information is, and he has a system, and his system is um, called the Smart System SM, S-M-A-R-T, Plan. And he has a book out that came out just about a year and a half ago. It was forwarded by Charles Barkley. And Charles Barkley was a big 76ers basketball player, Hall of Famer. And so he worked with people all over the place that uh, right now, Dr. Ben is at least 70, I think just over 70. And his application for these exercises is all over the place. Still from athletes to those who are in need of medical help. And uh, we just shouldn't avoid exercise because we think we're not up to it or don't want to go to the gym. It is something we all can do. We don't have to be a bodybuilder just to be serious about this. So I hope you'll take a listen. I hope you'll uh, think about doing this and all the resources should be there that you'll need. Okay? So till then, this is Dr. Goldgamp. Thanks for listening.